This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. I'm Rosanna Gill, and this is the Her Path to Purpose podcast, a podcast for every woman who has ever asked, is this it? You'll hear from women who have had the audacity to ask that exact question and share what their journeys to define and pursue more for their lives look like. This podcast will open your eyes to the infinite possibilities available to you and prepare you to forge your own path to purpose. Get ready for the career day you never knew you needed. Okay, so I'm so excited because I am here with Lotus Wilson, who is the founder of Renegade Mindset, uh, a personal development company serving individuals, teams all over the globe, basically working on the subconscious level to completely change people's lives. I mean, did I oversimplify it? (laughs) No, I think that's a good starting point. We could dive deeper to that. But yeah, I think that's a good starting point. Well, it is hard to put everything that you do into this little snippet without sounding like I'm getting super robotic. And I don't want to get robotic because one of the things I love about you is that you are such the antithesis of a buttoned up coach. In my mind, when I think of somebody who trains teams, who Mm. works with businesses, works with individuals, it's somebody who's type A in a business (laughs) suit. There's not that there's anything wrong with a woman in a business suit, but, and I can't wait for people to see you, but you are blue haired. Yeah. Say it like (laughs) this, just, just a beautiful soul. So I can't wait to like dive into your story and how we got here and how my favorite blue haired Lotus just rocks (laughs) lives. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Yes. I, I am definitely probably the opposite of what anyone would visualize based on just, um, category of who I train and and what I do but you know that's part of the story too right which we'll dive into I'm sure yeah well so speaking of stories get me here like how did you come to be Lotus founder of Renegade Mindset what was before not from Mm. a business standpoint but a personal story standpoint what is your story what is my story gosh wow okay so I first found my own personal development uh, started in 2010. And I'm, if we go back even before that, right? So I'm I'm the youngest of four kids. So I was always the baby, always got whatever I wanted, right? For the most part, um, or at least I thought I did. I knew I could talk my way into it. So I knew from a very young age, linguistics was really important, right? And I said linguistics, we haven't said that yet, but I'm a master neuro-linguistics programming practitioner. And that's the basis of what I use in my work now from unconscious level mindset work and all of that, individuals and teams. And um, so I think I knew that from a really young age, just because I was the baby and I had to talk my way out of most things because I love to do things I wasn't supposed to, right? And uh, had two incredibly loving parents. They were um, really, we were raised really like, 
holistically for the most part, right? So my dad was an acupuncture physician and a Chinese herbalist and um, and did like nutritional counseling and all, all of that kind of stuff. So it, it was very, and psychology as well, because he was also a therapist, <coughs> excuse me. And so like from a really young age, and then my mom was a massage therapist, like from a really young age, really since birth, but like from my earliest memory, it was always like really healthy, unprocessed foods, right? We made our own stuff. We made organic or we bought organic, right? When we could, because we were also really poor growing up, but like even homemade bread, right? My mom would make homemade bread instead of buying processed bread, right? Right. That was partially because we couldn't afford to buy bread. It was cheaper to make it, but it also gave some sense of control to ingredients, right? So always raised that way, like growing up, nobody ever wanted to come to my house because we didn't have any junk food. <laughs> so like <laughs> friends never wanted to stay over. We were not the cool house, right? Like we didn't have soda, we didn't have candy, we didn't even have fucking chips, you know? <laughs> like we didn't have any of that. Um, but I but I think that that being raised in that way, which I definitely couldn't appreciate at the time, what gave me this insight at such a young age to um, what my opinion is a more natural way to handle things, right? Our body is very powerful in every way. So it will become as powerful as we allow it to become. And it also has to do with what we put in it, right? So just learned that from a really young age. So that led me to believe just like growing up, like I I don't even think I saw a Western medicine doctor, uh, which is like natural medicine or like regular medicine that everybody thinks here, but I still refer to it as Western medicine because I was raised predominantly Eastern medicine, right? With acupuncture and herbs and all of that. So yeah, super cool. But I, I don't think I remember even seeing like a regular doctor until I was like 12 or 13. I'm sure I probably did, but like, I don't really remember. And then even then it was very, very few and far between. It was very much like my dad's like, I'll put a needle in you, you know, I'll give you an acupuncture treatment um, instead of taking you in somewhere. And it worked, right? It really worked. So I think at that age and acupuncture, that's really an interesting when it comes to a mindset perspective too, because it deals with, first of all, I'm not an acupuncturist. So I'm going to tell everybody my interpretation of how I think it works, right? I'm not a professional at all. I know it deals with like meridian points in the body and the meridian points in the body, how I look at them are kind of like energetic points, right? That corresponds or correlates to some part of our body or some part of sickness or whatever. And that that's why the needle goes in there. It stimulates the energy in the body. Well, so does all the words that we speak. So does all the emotional emotions that we process or should be processing right? Which I'm sure we'll speak of. Um, So I think like there was just always this underlining as I was growing up intrigue into, wow, like what what are we really capable of as humans? But I didn't really come to dive into that until 2010. And I didn't dive into it until 2010 because when I was in high school, I started using drugs. I started using drugs because I had had some sexually traumatic experiences happen from the time of 12 till 16, 17. Started using drugs, had a lot of physical pain in my body that also started around the age of 12 that I really didn't know what caused it. Nothing happened. It just occurred and then never went away. And that was from my waist down. And that was every single day. And the first time I used drugs, I didn't have any pain. And I was like, well, this is great. 
So then that became an addiction. Question. Did yeah. the physical pain from the waist down start after the sexual trauma? So it did, but I didn't know that until, right. yeah, until my first breathwork session. Can I share that? That's how we know each other, right? Yeah. yeah. So obviously we met prior, but Rosanna is my breathwork coach as well. And the first time, you know, our, it was like my first or second session was when I was able to actually make that correlation. Now, I will say a couple years ago, I had become clear mm-hmm. um, that the pain in my body was emotional. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. But I had become clear of that. But it, I didn't directly correlate it to the first, at the time, the first memory of sexual trauma I had until that first or second breathwork session we had. Um, which afterwards, literally my pain was half that, even if that from that point on literally until today. And that was eight months ago. Right. So, and still gets better, right. Because I'm still doing the work to release the emotions and process it and understand, you know, even at a deeper level than I was aware of. Cause here's the thing, I can be this master mindset strategist and do all these amazing things and help people break through amazing things of their own. But I'm also still very much a human with my own shit, (laughs) right? So like, I am not perfect. I don't even like to say I'm not perfect, but I'm just like, I'm not the, uh, the coach that thinks they have it all together. I actually think that that was, that's probably what makes me a better coach is that I don't, I'm still Filling my way through the, all this whole, all of this stuff. Right. So, so yeah. So when I was 16, I started playing around with drugs. Um, I became addicted to heroin. I was addicted to heroin from 16 to 26. It's a long um, yeah. So a whole decade, a whole decade, I will say like it was, there was always something underlining there for me because I, in, uh, in middle school, school, we had to, there was a dare competition, like the dare program as to why you won't do drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or why you shouldn't do drugs <clears throat> to write an essay for why you're not going to use drugs in high school. And I won like one of the top places in my, in my county or area for the essay that I wrote, because that's, I was clear. I was, I wasn't interested in drugs. I loved who I was. Right. So that just speaks to how much trauma can control us and affect our life and lead us down a totally different path by way of that's the only thing like I believe that the drugs were number one it took the pain away number two I didn't even know what I didn't know about myself at that time and number three it was the safest option my brain had to be able to survive because I wasn't thriving at that point I was I was surviving at best right at best and I would say probably about six years into active addiction was when I was really I mean I never really wanted to use drugs as crazy as that sounds, even during active addiction, like I tried to talk myself out of it most days, uh, unsuccessfully, obviously. And probably about six years in, I started to be like, whoa, like if I don't do something here, if I don't figure out how to get past this and release this addiction, it's going to kill me. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe psychologically, maybe just kill my freedom, right? Get locked (laughs) away, right? but it was going to kill me in some way. So I became willing to try to get clean. Right. And I, and by willing what that looked like then was like, you know, I went to narcotics anonymous. I tried NA, I tried AA. I liked NA better. And I just kept showing up Hi, but I just kept showing up and I went to meetings three, four, five times a week for four years before I actually stopped using. 
And yeah, like Can I just that because well, two things. Sorry to cut you off. No, please. Yeah, interject. When I said that's a long time, I don't mean like that's a long time to do drugs. I meant that's a long time to do drugs and still be alive. Correct. When you say you're addicted to heroin, I'm like, that is, I mean, I don't, I haven't experienced it, but I know of it to be a pretty heavy drug. So like one, to me, it's amazing that you lived right to 26 right. after being yeah. in addiction. But the other part of it is the four years, because I think a lot of people think it's as simple as you just decide you're ready and willing to get clean. And well, why didn't you take the magic pill? And it just worked. I think for a, for a select few, maybe that is the case. It wasn't my story. Right. Yeah. Walk me through that four years. Like what was happening? Mm. Well, yeah, you had, there has to be this internal battle in your head. You, cause you consciously know all the reasons why this is not serving you. And yet, and I'm learning about addiction, right? In Narcotics Anonymous, in these meetings, I'm hearing other people's stories of, of desperation and of hope, of, you know, ground zero, they've lost everything, and of, you know, being able to achieve incredible things on the other side. I was, I had at the time, like I had all the resources I needed I think for me, like those four years, well, first of all, I was, I was doing, making more and more bad decisions, right? Like I always really believed that I wasn't a bad person. I just did really, really, really awful things in active addiction. And I mean, like I would steal from you and help you look for it. Like I had, I was disgusting. My behavior was disgusting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My behavior. Because I am not a disgusting human being. I didn't want to do those things consciously, right? But I felt so outside of the control because I felt the addiction had all control. And those last four years, it was every day, like, who am I going to con, manipulate, or steal from in order to cop? Because the uh, cop dope, meaning like, go get, right? Go get dope. Okay. Or if not, then I would have to withdraw, which was also very painful and could end up in the hospital, could end up dying sometimes, right? From withdrawals. I don't think you'd die from the withdrawal of heroin. I don't know. So, you know, don't come for me, people, on some of these stats. I'm just sharing my personal experience, right? I don't think you could, but it felt like it, right? If it was painful enough, yes. right? It felt like it for sure. Um, so it was just this daily struggle, literally every day of who am I going to con, manipulate, steal from? right? What am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to pawn? What am I going to have to sell? You know, because the other option was, you know, withdrawing. And then it was then in the, the next day, I would figure it out. And then the next day, it'd be the same cycle all over again. And then go to meetings and then have some kind of like, okay, like, I remember going to meetings at night and being like, okay, that's it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'd even wake up in the morning, right? And like, be like, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. But as soon as I started to do anything in my day, whatever it was, shower, whatever, it's like then the voice, the chatter started, right? And then it would just get louder as the day would go on. And then the impulse, the, you know, obsession and compulsion of the thoughts that run through your head when you're addicted to something go in and it just takes control of you, right? Like, and again, like now I understand it from a whole different level from the neuro-linguistic side is like, well, fuck, that's the pattern I had created in my brain. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to do anything different. I definitely didn't know that I could rewire my brain. Definitely didn't know that. 
right? You know, it was just, it was, I don't even know. I don't even know. It was devastating. Those four years were devastating because it was obviously the last four years of my addiction was the worst four years of the addiction, right? Because addiction doesn't get better. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get better the longer you do it. Yep. It gets worse, right? And, um, you know, I had both of my kids in active addiction. Thank God they're healthy. I have custody of both of my kids. You know, my boys are 15 and 17. Uh, my oldest still remembers. He was about four and a half when I first got clean. So he still re has a, a couple shitty memories, you know, of mom strung out or mom copping dope or, you know, doing things that this version of me would never do, you know, kind of a thing. But yeah, it was just those last four years were rough, right? And I think for me, Cause I was like, well, I'm going to the meetings, I'm doing the things, but I can't stop using. Like, why can't I fucking stop using? And I think for me, it had never, I hadn't had Tony Robbins. One of the things Tony Robbins says is, you know, when something is more, and also NLP, right? Like NLP and just neuro-linguistic programming and all that speaks on this, which is how Tony Robbins was trained. Right. So, yeah. um, he says, you know, when, when, once the pain is greater of staying the same than it is to change, then you will change, right? Then you'll actually do it. And I think that's where it was for me. Like I hadn't had enough pain in a quick enough time to a strong enough extent. Because of course I had hurt tons of people and I had made tons of bad decisions and done a lot of bad things. But I think like they had all been kind of spaced out. Mm. Still led me to keep going like, well, maybe I can figure this out. I've held a job the whole time, right? Most people didn't even know I was on drugs. Wow. I looked apart, still had custody of my kids. I don't fucking know how that was possible, but I did. You know, I did. They were bathed. They were clean. They were fed. They went to school, you know? Um, so it was, uh, it was almost like I was like this white collar heroin addict, right? Where it was like... I still looked all buttoned up and everything was great. But on but the inside, like the image I have of a typical person, like I said earlier, like this yeah. is what I envision and that's what you were living. So of course people were a question. Yeah, it was a mask, right? I was just putting all that on as a mask. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I, for me, the end of my addiction was the, about a 90 day span and that 90 day span, I had been stealing money from an employer at the time to be able to go cop dope, right? And hiding it. So fraudulently hiding it, right? Hiding the fact that I was stealing it. I was going to say, how do you um, unfraudulently hide that you're stealing? <laughs> but I mean, Fair. like, it's hard. Like, of course. Yeah. So, um, so I was, I was doing that. They had, re I had lost that job. They had reported it to the cops. I knew that they, the cops were looking for me. I had never been arrested or anything like that my entire life. Right. So I was terrified. I always had a high respect for police officers. I'm not one to run from, I mean, run from getting clean, but in that sense, like, I'm not going to run from like the government. Right. <laughs> like, I'm like, fuck, I did this. They know I did this. I better turn myself in. Right. <laughs> and, and it was literally like this 90 day span. And really, if I'm really even clearer than that, it was about 30 days. And in 30 days I had like 
screwed over a boyfriend that I had been seeing. That was probably the first male experience I had in my life that I felt, again, this is just my own opinion, but I felt had never hurt me first. So I couldn't justify screwing him over. Mm. Right. I would have some kind of justification to make myself be able to sleep at night. And I couldn't do that with him. So I had hurt him. I got evicted, literally sat outside my apartment with my kids while I watched the police take everything out of my apartment and throw it in the dumpster mm. and became homeless. Right. Um, didn't live on the streets with my kids. I like went and stayed with um, one of their dads for a very, very short period of time. Found out the cops were looking for me turned myself in for that. So I'm thinking like, I knew that I had stolen, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 total. Right. So I'm thinking I'm done. I'm going to prison. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, so I go in and they sit me down. I, you know, I'm talking to the officer in the interrogation room and he's like, we know that you stole $700. And I'm sitting there like, Oh, Oh, this, that's it. <laughs> you know, like, and of course, this ego, this really unhealthy ego side of me was like, dang, I did good. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that was the con artist that I had become. That was the identity I had become to survive an addiction. But something clicked in that moment. And again, I think it was because so many things happened in such a short period of time. He kept talking and I don't really know what he said after that until I spoke up, but I was sitting there and I'm staring at him and like, kind of like almost in slow motion when you see in the movies where like somebody's mouth's moving, but you don't actually hear the sound. That's how it looked and how it felt. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lotus, you have a choice. You could say, yep, absolutely. I did catch a misdemeanor charge walk right back out that fucking door, not go to jail and carry on how you've been doing and die mm -hmm. to some extent at some point. Cause again, I knew, right. Or you could be honest for probably the first time in your life and you could tell the truth. And that probably means a lot of time in prison. But then maybe you wouldn't be so disgusted with yourself. And then maybe you could actually live. Right. So I did. Yeah. Like I interrupted him and I said, that's not all of it. And he was, I will say, like, he did a really good job as a police officer, like making sure I didn't self-incriminate, trying to just make sure I knew my rights. Right. He was like, hold on. Like, before you say anything else, like you need to understand you know, the rights that you have, this could be self-incrimination. This is going to drop. I don't know what you're going to say, but this could drastically change your charge, change the result. You know, like he was really, I think he was, he was still doing his job what he needed to do, but he, I, I felt mm, maybe empathy from him. I don't know. It, he was just kind about it. Like he really delivered it in a good way. And, um, and I was just clear. I said, no, I need to tell you everything. I said, it's way more than that. So I did. I listed it way out. My charge changed from a, a petty theft misdemeanor to um, fraud, scheme to defraud is the actual charge for under 20,000, mm. which is a felony. And um, 
and I didn't go home that day, right? So I got booked into jail for the first time. I spent about, my brain's not totally clear, I think four days in jail. Um, and then one of my son's dads ended up bailing me out, but that was enough. Four days was enough for me. <laughs> um, it was uh, intense and 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 then I'm withdrawing in there because you know I went in high, right? I turned myself in high, so I'm withdrawing in jail. And yeah, I mean, just being treated as you are cattle almost, right? Like just, a, you're just an animal. You're just a number and an animal and you have no rights and you have no, nobody cares about your humanness or what you think or feel, or if you're having a bad fucking day, you know, nobody cares. Right. So it was enough. It was profound for me enough to be like, I don't ever want to go back there. <laughs> and, uh, I got out and within a couple days found a halfway house that would take me had to give custody to my, to my kids' dads. They have separate dads. So gave, gave custody of my children up voluntarily for the first time, which was gut wrenching, but I knew it was the only chance I had moved into a halfway house and, um, went high there. Cause of course I used once I got out and stuff, but cause that was all I knew, right. That was all I knew, but then got clean the, like, uh, the, either the second or third day that I was there. Right. And then that, that was my journey to just becoming who I am today. Right. So I, I started there and went to, it was about 90 days in where I, I love Narcotics Anonymous. So like for people out there in the recovery world, I just want people to understand, like I support every form of recovery, whatever that looks like for you. Your recovery is your responsibility. I want you to do and be and have and show up in whatever way you need to, to best support your recovery. Mm. Uh, for me, I loved Narcotics Anonymous. I love the foundation it gave me, but something felt like it was missing. Mm. Because, because even though, even though the step work and like the step working guide and the basic texts and all of those things, and the, it works how and why, if you're in the recovery industry or world, you know, the things I'm referencing are just different literatures. They're all incredible. And they talk actually a lot about how the mind influences this, which I didn't even really get to appreciate until I read the back. Cause I still read that stuff sometimes, sometimes to see it now, because now I understand it at a different level. But at the time it felt like everything was just around the addiction, even though it really isn't like the step work really gets you into like, why are you doing these things? Right? Like, why are you making these choices? But I couldn't see that then. Like, I just didn't know what I didn't know. Right. So it just felt like everything was just about the drugs. Everything was just about the addiction. And for me, that felt like, okay, well, I put the drugs down, but I'm still a shitty human. Like, why am I still like, stealing from people? Why am I still lying? Why, why can't I, why can't I look at myself in the mirror? Right? These things were just, there's something more for me to discover. And so a guy I was dating at the time actually enrolled me uh, or helped me to enroll myself into this like personal development seminar, like a three day Friday to Sunday thing in my local town uh, by a local company. And it was just like personal development. I was like, I don't even know what that is. I'm assuming it's some kind of narcotics anonymous, I don't know, but it's not for people that are addicted. So what problems do they have? Right? <laughs> you know? I love that. You're like, there's nothing in the middle of the spectrum. It's either you're addicted or you have the, just no issues whatsoever. Right. <laughs> Life is just, but I think that that, that, uh, that thought process of mine happened because I started using when I was still technically a child. Yeah. 
very much so so. like my whole adulthood so i was seeking something more right and i I, so i enrolled in this like weekend personal development thing that had i was like so wait so it's not for addicts like so it's just for like people okay (laughs) uh i'm like i'm really like my brain was just like, wait, I don't understand, you know? And so I went and I just, I fell in love with it. So I, I knew that there was like three levels of these courses through this company. The first one was like an introduction and, you know, introduction to personal growth. The next one was like way more advanced, more deep. Like we're going to go through some shit. Right. And then there was like a 90 day, like leadership, like coaching program to like help you, you know, create the repetition for new, your new life. Right. Kind of a thing. And I hadn't signed into any of those things yet. I was still just in this introductory class. And I remember I went up to the founder on the last day at like the little graduation kind of ceremony thing that they did. And I said, I'm going to facilitate your courses. And she was like, what? (laughs) You know, I mean, honestly, I think she's amazing. uh, But I think she was more like, okay, we'll see. I think that's what she said was, okay, we'll see. Right. Um, Because she would never want to negate anything that anybody said they wanted, but she would also like, okay, well, show me, right? Show me. And I never knew that I would be interested in anything like that. I was good in business. I had done well. I was good with managing things. I knew that I could see things that were missing in business, even using, right? Because again, I, I held a job the whole time. I actually really believed when I got clean, I believed that there was no way that I was good at business, that it was just the heroin. How fucking crazy is that? I mean, yeah. it's using the things we can convince ourselves. In those right? Things. Like I had convinced myself that like, no, 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 that was just the drugs. Like I'm not really that like a tune. I can't really do that. When yeah. in actuality, it's incredible that you could do that. <laughs> wow. Because when you I was like, who the hell can do business, can manage stuff? Well, in active addiction, but in your mind, in the addict's mind, it's no, that's what allowed it was the opposite. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's what made me so smart. That's what made me see the patterns. Right. So anyway, so so I had no experience with like speaking or motivation or definitely not personal growth, right? Because we knew that. Um, so for me to just go back and just say that to her was, I mean, even when I heard myself say it, I was like, are we there? Like, what does that mean? You know? And sure enough, like I signed right into the advanced course, fuck and fell in love with it even more. And then signed right into the leadership course. And then immediately started um, coming back to staff uh, all three courses and then became a coach with them for the first time. um, End of 2011. Um, trained in their material, right? Not neuro-linguistic programming, um, but just life coaching, right? All-encompassing life's coaching. And I did that and I became a facilitator with them, a co-facilitator, not one of their main facilitators um, for a while as well. And I did that up and through, let's see, so 2011 to 2017, I think was the last time I was with them. Uh, still working during the day. Like that was just kind of like my passion project, right? Like I loved it, but I was still doing other stuff during the day. It was also very hard for me to get any kind of management or supervisory role, right? Because I was now a fraud felon. Couldn't even have a bank account. Couldn't, you know, couldn't vote for the first five years, you know, had to get my civil rights reinstated and all that after doing what I needed to do. Didn't end up going to prison. I'll like encompass, you know, 
finish that chapter with saying that didn't go to prison. I, I stayed clean when I moved into the halfway house. So by the time that I actually had to like see a judge and get sentenced, I had been clean for about 95 days. I had started the personal growth work outside of Narcotics Anonymous. I had become a respected person in the community from Narcotics Anonymous and in my probation, right? Um, or no, I'm sorry, probation was after my sentencing, but, um, you know, started to show people that maybe I was going to do something with myself, right? Um, so I didn't have to go to prison. They gave me five years probation, had to pay the restitution, which I'm still paying off to this day. <laughs> um, um, but, but happy to do so. I feel like it's the least I could do. Right. And, um, and then became, you know, kind of the model citizen for, um, probation as well. Right. Like they would help connect me with other people that were new to probation that maybe were having more challenges than I was. So I could almost mentor them in a way and doing a little bit of that. And I really enjoyed this, like mentoring, coaching and facilitating and training, like, just really started to open to my eyes to like, oh, maybe this is kind of the avenue I'm supposed to go down. I had no idea that you'd been coaching for this long. I had no idea because it was essentially 2011. So that's what, 12 years going on 13. Yeah, I guess so. I, guess I so. didn't realize that the personal development happened so soon after ending the addiction. I mean, I would say that that's, I mean, you ended it, but I think would I be wrong in saying like that seems to have really helped with facilitating a different life? A hundred percent. And that's why I wanted to give the disclaimer of like, I don't knock any recovery groups by any means. I, if I still feel like I don't attend NA in general now or AA, but like, if I feel like I need a meeting, guess what? My ass is going to a fucking meeting, <laughs> you know, like for sure. I will not hesitate to do what I need to do for my recovery today. I do feel like what I do for work has been a blessing and a curse kind of, right? Which I think we'll dive into is where like, I thought, I know that I know that I know. I know how the brain works. I know why I made these decisions. I know why I did this. I can scientifically walk you through it. And and, and it really did. So yes, it was a huge blessing. I think the from two, 2011, stopped working with that company in 2017. And that was all really volunteer basis. So yeah, like I was coaching, but it wasn't all the time, right? So I would do one leadership a year. So that was like 90 days a year. So one quarter essentially. And then the program, I really only facilitated the advanced program because I was just like, listen, the intro program is cool, but like, I want to do the deep shit, right? Like, so, um, and that was like once a quarter as well. So it wasn't full-time and then I was working full-time, right? But definitely gave me an incredible exposure to the personal development industry and multiple coaches and multiple facilitators um, and just learned so much right from that aspect of being in those rooms and being able to coach. And I knew that that would be what I'm doing someday. I'm like, I'm going to be some kind of a coach someday for sure. I knew it. Um, worked up in the meantime, worked up the business ladder, just got found the right people that I was supposed to work with that I was always very upfront and honest about my charge before I took any offer of employment, because I felt like it was a natural filter. People were either going to see me for who I am today, or they were going to hold me in my past. And if you were going to hold me in my past, I love, honor, and respect you, but we're not supposed to work in each other's life anyway. Mm. Right? If you're going to love me from who I've been, instead of who's sitting in front of you today, then I'm going to lovingly step left and go find a different opportunity. Right. So and that's kind of how I've been my whole life since I since I got clean originally in 2010, that it, it it's just been a really easy way to 
start to have boundaries. I never had boundaries before. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was, well, how am I going to take care of myself? And by taking care of myself, I need to be around people that don't hold me at my lowest. Yes. You know, and that included family for a long time. You know, I just reconnected with my brother this year. Uh, my sister and I just reconnected three years ago. I think it's been now. My other brother has, he passed away in 2013 from an overdose as well. Yeah. So there was a lot there. And then my parents, we pretty much started to work through stuff when I started the personal development stuff. So we, and we're close now, but, um, but yeah, anybody that wants to hold me at my past, like I'm not that person. You can't even hold me at who I was six months ago, as you know, as my breathwork coach, right? Like, I don't even fucking know who that was, right? And I think that's where, so like somewhere along the line of, of working up the business ladder. So I, in short, on the business side, like I had worked up to being the COO of an international personal care company selling internationally. They were a local in Florida based company, had another HQ in Europe um, for the European division. And then I was their COO of the whole thing. And they sold eco-friendly oral care in like, gosh, I think when I left, we were in like, I feel like I'm going to butcher this number, maybe 50,000 stores across the world. Yeah. So I had done well, right? Like I had done well. I had a great job. I had a, I worked for a company, you know, at the COO level that accepted me for who I was. Right. And, and was okay with that. And still to some extent felt like I needed to dress a certain way or be a certain way. Right. We've, we've talked about that a little bit before outside of this podcast of like, what I refer to as antiquated business practices that have just become the norm that nobody's willing to just stand up and go like, Hey guys, this is kind of fucking bullshit that we're still operating business this way. So if you work with me on a business level, you know, that's the first thing we do first session, like let's get all the antiquated shit out. And one of that being like, why do we feel like now I do think for some people, if you value dressing a certain way and it's your company, then you value that and that's okay. But for us to all of us as a generalized, population to think we have to look or dress a certain way in order to be successful or in order to have a good job or in order to make money or in order to whatever, fill in the blank, right? I think that I would, I would invite you to disrupt that bullshit (laughs) and, uh, and, and offer an opportunity that you could decide to believe something else. Right. So I think when I became COO, I was finally like, I'm, I, I felt like I had reached a level of success that I could just finally go, fuck it. I want to be myself completely. Mm. I want to wear flip flops and jeans and a t-shirt every day. I want my fucking hair to be blue. (laughs) Right. And I did. I literally got the COO job and like two months later I dyed my hair blue. And now that was, you know, three and a half years ago and there's no going back. I'm going to be blue probably forever. But yeah, like I, I, so I was doing all that in the business world and, and I loved my job. I loved the company I worked for, loved what I did. It checked a lot of boxes. Mm. But what I had learned <laughs> was that the box it didn't check was fulfillment. Oof. It was fulfilling in some aspects, but I was not fulfilled. Mm. Right. The only time I ever felt totally fulfilled was when I was coaching. Mm-hmm. And so literally to end of, uh, end of 20, this is 23. So the end of 2021 in December, I put in my two weeks notice 
and told them I was leaving and I was launching Renegade Mindset. And it's like all all uphill from there, right? Like, I mean, not not all uphill because success is not laid out that way. But I use that language because it, it feels even with all the trials and tribulations that occurred in owning and operating and building a business from scratch, none of it is none of it feels like a chore. None of it feels to, right? Like I get to fucking do this every day of my life. Like I just get to wake up and be who I am and help other people become really unbecome everything they never were in the first place. Yeah. That part. And that's my job. And that's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) You've given me, okay. So many things I want to talk the checking of boxes. Because one thing that you said that really stood out to me and something that I have seen in so many people is you had this point, you had this choice. And I don't know that it would have necessarily this like, maybe it was, you tell me of angels singing and you hear a chorus in the background and you realize, wow, this checks a lot of boxes and there are parts of it that are fulfilling, but that's not enough. And I think that a lot of people see that. And instead of being like, what more could they be? It's like, but that's good enough and stop. So, yeah, I think I know which we're going to talk about Disrupt the Bullshit, which is an event that you and I are going to like kind of tag team on my my event that I'm 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 so freaking ecstatic that you're willing and desiring to be a part of, which we'll talk about. But I this is one of those things that I, that we talk about on day one of disrupt the bullshit. And that is an expanded version of the comfort zone. So probably most people that are listening to this podcast are somewhat familiar with this idea of we spend the majority of our lives in our comfort zone, whatever that looks like behavior, jobs, people, places, things, relationships, fuck animals. I don't know. Right. All of it. Right. We just, spend most of our time in the comfort zone, never really seeking anything outside of that, never really challenging us to really become as powerful as we could if we desired. Now, some people are perfectly okay with that. And that's cool. You do you, but that's not what I'm here for, right? Like I got one life. You mean I got one shot? If I only got one shot, then I want to challenge myself I just want to fucking see what I'm capable of before I leave this place. Yes. Right. Like I really want to see what, and and what that requires is challenging everything I ever thought I knew about myself. Mm. Right. That's what that requires, which I think people forget that along the way. Right. They're like, I want to be successful, but you realize in order to be successful, if you're not successful yet, whatever success looks like for you in order for you to achieve it, You have to disrupt all the shit that's holding you back. And guess what? You're it. You're what's holding you back. You're the only fucking reason as to why you haven't achieved it yet. Right? So either the beliefs, the values, or the identity you've created for yourself based on life experiences. I'm not saying your experiences aren't valid. I'm just saying that there's probably a lot of them that aren't serving you anymore. Mm. what you want is outside of your comfort zone, right? So when we talk about comfort zone with renegade mindset, I've created what I call the bold zone chart. And the bold zone chart takes people through like, well, what is it? 
What do people look like if they're living in their comfort zone? And then what's outside of that? And really the first thing that's outside of the comfort zone. So think about it. Anytime you do something you haven't normally done, or you do something for the first time, or even if you just stand up for yourself for the first time, how does it feel? The energy in your body changes. It feels uncomfortable durable, right? And you're like, and probably like energy is pulsing through your veins. And you're like, can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that. Can I really tell this person? I don't, I, I don't like the way they're talking to me. I don't know, right? You're questioning, you're challenging if it's possible. There's fear, right? It's uncomfortable. That's what, what I call the dread zone which is right outside the comfort zone. So before you get to the bold zone, which is the sweet spot, the first thing you're going to hit, regardless of how long you've been practicing getting outside of the comfort zone, because, um, hi, I'm Lotus Wilson. I do this for a fucking living and I am uncomfortable as fuck every time I get outside of my comfort zone, right? I still am full of fear and questioning everything and analyzing, is this the right choice? Should I do this? I don't know. Who's going to judge me, right? Like all this stuff that comes up. So we call that the dread zone because nobody wants to stay at that space, right? And if we push what I like to say, two millimeters past that, just mm. two millimeters past that, that's all it takes. You land in the sweet spot and the sweet spot is the bold zone. And that's where you start to level up your level of consciousness of how you're behaving and more importantly, for what purpose you're behaving that way or showing up that way, that way that's been comfortable for you, right? And what's underlining and where did that come from? And why did you create that part of your identity? Because guess what? You created it. It's everything you've created. You've created it all, mm -hmm. right? You've also created the interpretation and the meaning you give to the life experience you've had. Yeah. Right? For yeah. every single thing. Now, the, now, that can be incredibly heavy for some people, what I would offer is that it can also be incredibly empowering Yes. because if you created and interpreted and gave meaning to trauma, right. And I'll speak for myself in this because I don't want to assume for anybody else's trauma for my trauma. If I created a meaning that I will always be less than a man or always need to do what the man says or show up how a man wants, because again, this is just my personal opinion. This is what I've broken through. Um, then if I continue to think that way and believe that way based on my past life experience, I will only continue to create the same reality. Mm. It's not until I'm willing to believe that I can have a voice, not until I'm willing to believe that I value myself enough and actually even more so than other people, including men right? I value myself more. Well, if I value myself more and I never did, guess what? I'm going to make a different choice. And then I'm going to apply a different meaning to that choice, right? So it's like, it's all about this, like the bold zone is really where you're like handling challenges as they come up, right? We've all had some kind of experience. I don't care if you were five years old and you were on the soccer field and you scored your first goal or the first time you actually successfully jump rope without it hitting your damn feet. I don't know what it, or if it's something big, right? You left a toxic relationship. You left a job. You said fuck you to somebody. You should have said fuck you to 20 years ago. Whatever it is, it could be big or small. But we've all had some kind of experience in our life. Some moment where we just knew we were hot shit. Yeah. Right? We're like, I'm just on it. I'm 
killing it today, right? Like, or in that moment, I just jumped rope for the first time, right? For me, it was like the first time I could hula hoop and it didn't fall, right? Like, <laughs> and now I can't anymore, but I had a moment where I could, right? So we've all had that moment where we can relate to in that way, even if it was just a blimp, we've had something. That's what the bold zone feels like the majority of the time. Mm. And it's all seeing with your life. So wouldn't we want to be and live in that space more than our comfort zone? Mm -hmm. If that's where we really feel like we are totally ourselves and in our element and thriving and showing up in all the ways we always knew we could, but we were too fucking scared to do so. Like, wouldn't we want to live there more? Mm -hmm. Tell we're willing, because you have to be willing. Number one, you have to have the awareness that you're, do you want something more or an awareness of what you don't like about yourself? Right. But then you have to like, people think awareness is great. Awareness is great, but I'll tell you what, it's just a cool thought you once had if you're not willing to do shit with it. So the willingness is just as important. The yeah. willingness to put it into action. Right. And that's where you can start to move outside of the comfort zone and into that bold spot. Right. So I think that, and now I don't even remember how we got into this, but it's like, this is, this is essentially, this is one of the things that I train on and disrupt the bullshit, but really it's, it really can be that simple. If you break down personal development, right? If you really just focus on getting outside of the comfort zone, taking a look at yourself and how, what you like and what you don't like taking an inventory, right? Taking an inventory. I, there's a, a quote out there. Gosh, I can't remember the woman's name, but she was like, I don't know any life, personal life transformation that didn't begin with the person themselves becoming pissed off at who they become. Yeah. Some variation of that, right? Yeah. I can't, with Gilbert, I don't know, I can't remember, but really good quote, right? Like just being, and I think that that's really what I specialize in when I tell people. Like, no, 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 like I want you to come in ready to take a look at yourself. I want you to come in willing to dissect and disrupt everything you ever thought you knew to be true or valid or your beliefs or values or identity, because we're going to disrupt all of it and we're going to start creating something different. Right. And that's where the unbecoming is because we can disrupt it. We can loosen up the boundary of the identity we've created, this shell, this person that we've become. And there's some parts of you that you probably love. I hope there's parts of you that you love that you want to keep. Yes. Right. And you just magnetize that more because that's resourceful and positive for you. But we can't do that without releasing the stuff that's no longer serving us. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. What have been the identities that you've had to shift? Ooh, Ooh wow. Well, so identities, I think what, what people uh, sometimes misconstrued is like, we have one identity. We don't. We mm -hmm. have a lot of them. We have a lot of them. And some of them have names like, I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. Mm. I'm a owner, right? Like, you know, I'm a girlfriend, right? Like we all have these bigger ones that actually have names, but then there's other subtle identities, right? Like who's the identity that you become when you feel small, right? What identity do you shift into there? There's no name for it, but there's definitely processing that occurs in the brain, right? 
So I think if we, for this purpose, just because obviously it's a podcast and we could talk, I could crack out on this for days, right? <laughs> um, but to keep it succinct, like focus on on maybe the the bigger ones, right? For right now. So I think for me, hmm, my whole life, I think probably the first one I had to disrupt before I even knew that that's what I was doing, right? Because I, I I just started doing neurolinguistic programming about two and a half years ago, which took my whole life coaching. Like, I'm like, I mean, life coaching was cool. I don't knock it. But like where I had been trained, it was amazing. It was great. It gave me a lot of tools in my toolbox. But like, dang, I did not know how much still existed. And I still feel like I'm a student of this, right? Like just mm -hmm. in general even though I'm a master practitioner, because there's so there's always so much more to learn, right? As you know. So I think for me, the first one that I realized I had to disrupt, which honestly was still, the disruption was still in process, like the disruption and the, and the creation of who I am now, like still was in process up until eight months ago, to some extent, which was like uh, the self-deception, right? Like I had created an identity hidden behind self-deception, and really, how did I create that? Well, self-deception is, you know, I, I have to lie to myself more than I deceive other people, right? Because in order to deceive other people, I had to deceive myself first. So that means I had to lie to myself first and then believe my own lies, Ooh. right? Yep. So now some of those lies were really small and, and maybe harmless if you just spoke of one of them, but some of them were massive, right? Um, so so I think I think the pathological liar identity was probably the first one, right? Like sitting in front of that officer and in the, in the police station, turning myself in was probably the first identity I had to be willing and wanting to disrupt. And then after that, it was addict for sure. Yeah. Right. And then after that, it was because I put down the drugs, but again, I was still doing shitty shit, shit shitty things. And um, so then I think after that, it was like, I kind of put the con artist and the manipulator all in the same bucket, right? Because that's kind of what a con artist is, right? So the con artist, the manipulator, probably the next one. Gosh, those are probably the three really, really big, heavy ones. And then I would say I really had to circle back because then the pathological liar kind of like, really, I wasn't a pathological liar, but the self-deception, really, I started to become aware of the self-deception that was still going on, even though I had done all this work on myself, mm -hmm. started to become aware of some of it in like 2018 and working on it and all the things. And then, you know, uh, becoming more successful in general in business. And then obviously with Renegade and, and then I think that's where it turned, like if we circle back to where we were talking earlier about, um, I said it was a blessing and, and kind of a, a curse a little bit, right? To like dive into the personal development. Because I think when I became a, a coach and did that with that other company and then launched Renegade, I also unconsciously, I was totally unaware of it. I was unaware of hiding behind personal development work that I do for my job. Right. I was still doing personal development work. I was still going to seminars. I was still attending trainings and doing the work there. I really it was surface at best. But I didn't realize it because I wasn't training the teams I was working with, the business teams, the individuals, the one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. That was all with depth, right? And this unconscious layers and identity values and belief systems and 
helping them disrupt and recreate theirs, reformulate, you know, their new patterns and all of that. But, and I think that because I was still doing that for other people and not doing it for them, but helping them to do it for themselves, I hid behind that unconsciously, totally unconsciously. I was like, no, I'm I'm growing. Are you kidding? Like, look at at what I've done. Like, what I've become. I was happily married. So I thought at the time, right. And, uh, I mean, yeah, thought I had an incredible marriage. And now I, I'm since divorce, as you know, and, you know, since divorce about, uh, I guess, probably about four months, five months ago, it was um, finalized. And um, now look back and go like, I, I don't even know who that person was. It wasn't that I had, a t- I didn't have a toxic, toxic marriage. I want people to know, like, I think my ex-husband is an incredible human being, an incredible human being. I, I just have done so much real, real unconscious work and emotional processing work through breath work since then that I just have a completely different understanding of like why I even chose into that relationship, why I chose into that marriage, who I became in order to try to make him happy because I wanted to, I really wanted to, I wasn't doing that to be deceiving. I wanted him to be happy. I thought I was happy. He thought he was happy and we weren't, you know, I was just still this shell of, of a human and deceiving myself so much um, that like, I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I'd become. I really, really didn't. So I think the deception was the next biggest one. I do feel like I'm through the, the, the biggest ones for me now, right? Like I've broken through enough of them and I, and I've recreated some really healthy, amazing identities for myself now, right. That are really incredibly fulfilling and resourceful. And I'm also not, not ignorant to know that there's still a lot of work to do because you're human humans just just because i've done all this work on myself guess what life is still occurring so yeah. do you think i'm not at some point still gonna make i mean i'm not gonna make bad decisions like i did before in comparison right like comparatively my worst mistakes now are amazing <laughs> luxury problems compared to what I used to go through. Right. Um, But there's still a lot of work to do and I'm still human and I'm still going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Sometimes I'm still going to hurt someone's feeling unintentionally, unintentionally. Right. I'm still going to probably say something I really didn't mean because I didn't in the moment, I wasn't able to step out and go, hey, I need space for a second. Let me come back to this in 10 minutes, right? Like, I'm still going to be human. And and what I tell people is like, and I think that that's why I mentioned in the beginning about like, hey, I'm still human. Like, I do not have it all figured out, guys. Like, I'm not one of those coaches that acts or thinks that I do, not even for a second. Um, and, I, and I'm reminded of, of um, something I say to my clients all the time, my business clients that I work with, and even individuals, if we're talking about um, their career or being a, a person of influence in any way, whether that's in their job or at home or whatever. And like, well, I I work so much with people that are like, well, I don't feel like I know enough, or I don't feel like I've done enough work on myself in order to be that, or who's going to listen to me, or, you know, maybe I need to do more here before I can show up there, right? You know, like just this constant, and it's normal, we all do it to some extent in some way. 
And I just tell people, listen, you are allowed to simultaneously be a work in progress yourself while providing massive value in other areas of your life to Mm -hmm. other people, to other places, to things, whatever that looks like for you, you are allowed, like give yourself permission. Let it be easy. Let it be easy. I mean, I actually kind of find joy when I find little fuck ups in myself now, right? If I say something wrong, I'm like, that was adorable. I didn't mean it like that. Let me try that again. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think as humans, we just love to put so much energy on shit that doesn't fucking matter. Uh, the, The guy I'm dating right now, One of the things he always says that I love, he goes, if it's not going to matter in five days, why do I allow it to take up five seconds of space in my head? And I'm like, that's so beautiful, right? So what that has created for us and allowed us to create in our relationship is just like, if I think I hurt his feelings, like I don't even have to like put a bunch of energy on that. Like a lot of the times I just go like, wow, I said that really harsh. I'm sorry, like what I really meant, what I was feeling when I said that was this, right? You know, kind of thing. It just allows this space for hmm, not allowing our emotions to run us, but still allowing our emotions to be present and valid at all times. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Right, right. And not putting so much judgment on said emotions. I think we as humans in general just have so much um, interpretation to what it means when we are in any kind of emotion. Yep. Right. And therefore we think it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. I can't be angry. No, I don't want to be angry. No, I'm not angry. Right. Well, what if you just said, I'm fucking angry and I'm going to allow myself to be angry for 90 seconds. Yep. I'm going to be fucking pissed. My favorite thing is to break plates. I just want people to know. Simply, don't break the one you want to use every day. I recommend you go to Goodwill. You can go to Goodwill, get 10 cent plates. I like to break them. If I'm angry, I'll fucking shatter a plate on the floor. And yeah. I feel immediately better. Immediately better. The energy just needs to come out of you. Yes. Right? The emotion is just trying to come out of you. It's only what you know, right? It's only when we hold them in that it becomes a problem. And then we project them onto other people because we haven't processed them ourselves. Right. Right. So if in the moment I'm seeing that I'm angry, okay, well, let me go break something really quick. And that just works for me. I don't, you know, let's not break anything of value, guys. You want to to choose something that's, you know, easily replaceable and you don't need. Um, But that's my pillow personally. Like, oh, punching your pillow. Perfect. And, and I mean, like, right? Don't scream. scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I do love screaming. I do. I do. And you can scream into a pillow so you don't freak out your neighbors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, screaming into a pillow works. But again, like, the whole point is like, just create an environment where we don't immediately attach meaning to an emotion. Still making sure that we both feel in any relationship, doesn't matter if it's a personal relationship, a romantic relationship with my children, right? Whatever. I never want anyone to feel like their feelings are not valid or heard or seen or felt. Right. But at the same time, let's see if we can just feel them and process through them together and like without making it mean something so much bigger than it fucking has to. Also without trying to fix it. Like for me, 
that was a big thing was I took on others emotions as something that I needed to solve. And I know, Mm. I know the moment where it happened. I was very young. I think I was four or five. Um, and my mother was having a really bad episode and had a knife, wanted to kill herself. Mm. And I begged her not to, and she gave me the knife and said, you do it. And I don't really remember what happened after. I know obviously mom is fine. It was also an episode. Like it was not the person that other people met, but in that moment, there was like, just basically sheer overwhelm of if I say the wrong thing, the person that I love who's responsible for keeping me safe is going to die. And it's going to be all my fault. Mm. And from that day forward, I, I just always, people's emotions, I always took as my responsibility and it was Mm. my job to fix them, which is impossible. But I never, I didn't have an understanding of how to even address my own not even address, feel them. Because right. I just, that, that day was the day it just started shutting down. Like I got, you know, and it's, it's why I'm so passionate about talking about trauma. I, it's why I wanted like on my podcast, I don't want to interview somebody who just wants to talk about business strategy. I want to know about the ugly of your life right. the that got there because that is really what affects our decisions. And like, even with when you were saying like self-deception, that really resonates with me because I'm like, I, I made this real once and it was interesting because I was like, I don't know, some people might get really offended by this, but I had a number of people pleasers reach out to me and say, oh, I get it. When I was like, people pleasers are the best liars because ooh, who are you lying to somebody? Ooh. You got to lie to yourself. And I was, I, from that day, I was so good at lying to myself. I don't need this. I don't need that. I'm not angry. I blah, 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 lie after lie after lie to the point where it was like, I don't know what's a lie. (laughs) And in my own journey, it's been do a people pleasing lie and then have to go back and be like, Hey, I know I told you I was okay with that. I'm really not. And I know in that moment, Mm -hmm. I seemed very complicit. I seemed fine with it. I'm not. And I have to give myself grace in that. I can go back and have a new a new decision. I can go come back, look at it, have some perspective and be like, actually, no, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. And what a beautiful part of the process, right? And I think that you make a lot of really good points there that I want to, like when we're talking about identities and overcoming them and, and, and unbecoming, because that's really it, right? Like we are who we are today because of everything that was modeled to us, mainly from the ages of zero to seven, right? And then all of our life experience since then, because from zero to seven, we're just a walking sponge. Like our our unconscious mind is already what's, you know, I don't think we've said this yet, but like our unconscious mind dictates our 95% of our reality, right? So, but we're consciously trying to figure shit out. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we just tap into the unconscious part of our mind, right? Which is what I specialize in. So we can actually do do the deeper work on the levels of the mind. And that's scientific. That's not woo-woo, right? Like that's just scientific. There's levels of the mind, right? And and I want to go to the deeper ones. That's identity, values, and beliefs, right? So when you when you have that experience and you then, so I wanted to ask you, so like, from that experience and you started people pleasing and and lying to yourself and all of those things. So like, what would you call that identity? People pleaser. People pleaser. So like you, 
Go I ahead. People pleaser is kind of an umbrella term, but in all honesty, it was the identity was whatever you needed me to be. Chameleon. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm familiar with that one because that's really self-deception too. Mm-hmm. Someone actually disrupted my bullshit a couple months ago because I actually loved that about me in certain ways. I was like, oh, I love being a chameleon. I love that you can put me in any room and I will find friends and I will get along and, and it, it would be authentic. Right. Yeah. Like I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm authentic. I just am really open and really accepting and really blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, but if you're always changing yourself to fit the mold of the room you're in, how are you ever actually creating a room for you? Cool. Where, where are you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> you wait. <laughs> I mean, because this was just a few months ago, like it broke my brain. I was like, so you're telling me I'm, I'm not authentic when I'm doing that. Right. And like, and again, I'm human guys, based on everything I know and all the experience I have and all the training I can do. And I know I am confident in the massive value I can help you in your life and give you in your life. Right. Like, I still have my own stuff where I was like, damn, I was really proud of that. It might even still be on my website. I had a definition for the word chameleon that I loved. Like, seriously, it might still be. I don't know. It's getting updated right now. If it is, hopefully by the time this airs, it won't be there. But I was so proud of that term, right? But you're so right. Like that, that I love that. Like we we got to that from people pleasing because that's so much more of what it is, right? Just this morphing and molding ourselves. And sure. Are we, are there elements of us that is authentic when we do that? Sure. Right. Like there's definitely little pieces, even if it's just like how you wear your hair or what clothes you have on or what you're thinking, right. Could still be authentic. So it's not like you're totally not yourself in any way, shape or form authentically, but it is very much like, well, how I interpreted when that person said that to me was I was like, oh. Because in order to not be a chameleon and still be able to be comfortable being in all these different environments with all these different kinds of people, I would have to know, love, and accept myself fully for who I am to just show up as me without morphing into anything. And that was where it was like, (laughs) <laughs> it was like a gut hit, right? Like I was like, oh, oh, I thought I had made a lot of progress on that whole self-love thing. I guess I still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> it was the bleh for me. <laughs> That's my favorite. So anytime I'm on with my coach, it's like literally my favorite thing to do whenever she gut checks me, because she does all the time. And I love her so much for it. But that's how it feels. It just feels like somebody hit me in my stomach. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to take a look at that. But I know if I do take a look at that, then I have to become, right? Then then I'll have the awareness. And I know that once I have the awareness, I'm pretty good at shifting into willingness to do something about it, right? It's the law of exposure. You can't not know what you now know. You can't, right? You can't. You can act as if it doesn't exist. You can not take any action to do anything different, but you can't not know it once you know it, right? 
And I'm pretty good with that. Like once I become aware of something, I'm pretty good with at least putting in the effort to try to do something different or, you know, become more or better or whatever I feel needs to occur. Right. But man, yeah, uh, that's my favorite response to gut hits. I'm just like, <laughs> but again, like we talked about the meaning we give to things that come up in our emotions. Like nobody likes being called out on their bullshit, guys. Nobody likes it. Not even me. But why don't I make it funny? And right. in order to make it funny, then I can just get get the energy off of it. Stop yeah. judging myself about this gut hit I just got that I just feel like makes me feel like a shitty human being all over again. Because that's really what's happening, right? It's triggering old guilt, shame stuff that I had, mm -hmm. right? Anytime somebody challenges myself and I see that they have a point, right? So I'm like, well, if I just make this sound and act like I'm going to throw up, it immediately makes me laugh every time. You and now I'm in a much more resourceful emotion. Yeah, yes, yes. Right? That's an emotion I can work with. I can work with looking at myself if I'm laughing. I can work on that. That's fine, right? It's harder to like really take a look at myself if I'm angry and upset and in guilt and shame and despair, right? Like, I mean, we can make some progress, but we can make a lot more progress if we can just get the energy off of it and laugh about it and just go, hey, it's okay. Okay. Yeah. I also think that's something to like, if you're doing work with someone in that space where you are in such a vulnerable space, it's so important to work with somebody that is non-judgmental. And it's like, oh, yeah. I'm disrupt like you, like you disrupted bullshit for me, but it's, I know it's coming from a loving place and there's no like, gotcha. Like, right. I caught right. you. And I've worked mm -hmm. with coaches before where it now in hindsight, I don't know if that's actually how they meant it or if that's how I projected it. Because for me, right. for you to call out imperfection in me meant I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm not mm -hmm. doing it, I'm not good. And all these, all these other stories that I had tied to imperfection, even though I consciously would say and knew to say, oh, I know, none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. But I was <laughs> Driving for it. Right. <laughs> Need, I was like convinced that if I just did enough, tried hard enough, whatever, I would get to a point like mm. where I really would. And it's just like, how's that working? <laughs> we've we've had to we had to get rid of that a while ago. Like, yeah. like even to start a podcast, like the reason I didn't for three years, even though I had the mic, was because I didn't want to do it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I still have shit like that in Renegade now, in my business now. And that's why I like for people out there listening, first of all, if you're still listening, you're a champ. You're I, I obviously you've also, you know, probably made some bad choices in your life if you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you're either already making better ones or this one inspires you to do so. Right. So like I still have things in Renegade, right, that I'll like hold off launching things that are very valuable you know, that I've had a workbook that's been 90% done and I've just been sitting on it right now. Finally, I'm holding my own feet to the fire and I'm like, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be done before disrupt the bullshit. Right. Like, cause I want to be able to have, um, uh, it's a lot of, it's not the same content, but there's overlap. Right. So I feel like it's a, it's a good follow-up for anybody that comes to disrupt the bullshit that then wants to do some, you know, continue to like journal and work on themselves. It's like a 21 day workbook, but, um, 
but it's been 90% done for years for years, <laughs> years. I've actually rewritten it twice because then I was like, well, wait, I didn't put it out last year. And now I have all this new knowledge and I also want to include that. So, so let me rewrite it and then still keep it 90% done, <laughs> which I'm glad I'm saying this out loud because you realize what this is going to do. This is going to require what it's actually out. right? <laughs> so, so all that to say, like, we still all do that, right? Where right. we like put stuff off and, and maybe it's for trying to be perfect or what ever limiting belief you have about yourself that's holding you back right like for me I was so scared of judgment mm. right like I'm like man I've been judged rightfully so in those 10 years of active addiction and even the years after that when I made really bad choices that weren't related to addiction right like um I, but there was so much guilt and shame that I had to process through that really to some extent I'm still processing some of it um but but I've worked through 98% of it probably in that regard um, where like there was so much guilt and shame that, and so many people judged me. And again, rightfully so for the things that I did um, like, I, and I mean, rightfully so not as we all have permission to judge others. I don't think we should, but it is a very human. Um, we have free will, right? Mm -hmm. So some people are going to judge. No, it's not ever going to be perfect. We're not all going to agree, right? So that's what I mean by rightfully so. And I do feel like my decisions then should have been judged. I was making really bad decisions, right? So so I say that not as critiquing anyone else, but this is just my own journey, right? Um, but like, I felt if I released the workbook up until now, I liter like literally up until now, because obviously it's still not out, right? Up until now, I just felt like, oh God, if the majority of people judge me for it or don't like it or it isn't enough for them, then I'm not enough. And all this work I've done on myself is not enough. And then they're going to have judgment on me. And then if they judge me, then I feel like when people used to judge me before, which triggers guilt and shame, and then it becomes this downward spiral. Right. So, and it's like, this is, this is a good way for people to see how one tiny little thing that should be good releasing this workbook that I've put so much time and energy in that I love that I can't wait for the world to see. It's actually called Unleash Your Inner Renegade, um, that I can't wait to be out there. Right. But this old patterns and beliefs and value system I had based on my life experience has kept me from doing that. Right. Because of this fear of judgment. It's just wild. You're in the dread zone. I'm totally in the dread zone. I'm totally in the dread zone, but well, let's say I have been up until this right. point because again, right. words matter and we don't want to put that out there. You have been <laughs> the in the bold. Two millimeters, two millimeters. It's yes. a bold. Yeah. Which is yeah. like when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, well, so then that just means you'll have multiple editions of it. Like there'll just be other versions of it that come up and you just up. But I get it because in your body, right? Your body doesn't register the easy solution. I'm looking at it from an outside perspective. Your body is saying, no, we're going to be judged again. And this could be this and the, 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 the same way for me, like doing something wrong could literally mean death. So my body registers for even the simplest stuff. If you, And I think that's what I really would love for anybody listening to this. Like your body is not responding to the task in front of you. It is responding to the pattern and to that trauma. Mm -hmm. And if you stay there, it you will 
be convinced that that threat is real like that initial one was. And it's not. Right. Right. It's so easy. Oh, it's so easy to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's why like the work you and I do is so important, right? Like some people have, when they think about the coaching industry or whatever, have, have negative associations with it, right? Or negative experiences even, right? Um, or even personal development, right? Like I can't tell you how many different personal development arenas, meaning like with different, different facilitators, different programs, different companies I've done, right, of my own, right? Like I, I love Tony Robbins, right? Done Tony Robbins, the, the company I was with, you know, that I that I went through the work of before, um, which no longer exists. But like there's been multiple different companies that I've gone to and done different kind of personal development. And I'll still meet people that just immediately think I'm in a cult. Immediately. They're like, well, that's like a cult. Isn't that like cultish? I don't know. Right. And I'm like, well, first of all, I would, you know, it's interesting that you believe that. Right. Like where, where did that belief first get made up? Right. Where, Cause that's something I would invite you to take a look at. Right. And I'm not saying that cults don't exist. And I'm not saying that there's not cults out there that exist that literally get you in by loving, love bombing you and doing all these great things only in order to like reveal the curtain and do all the manipulation and stuff after the fact. Right. I'm also not saying that there's not things out there that, that, and people and companies out there that sell you personal development. It's really just to, to sell you. Right. And don't really give you like meat. Right. Mm. But I think that we can't, what I would offer is that it's so easy to put everybody in a bucket, yeah. right. Every category in a bucket. Like, why, why don't we all just like, again, we're all individual humans. We all have individual things and personal development I, I, as its individual thing by definition is a beautiful thing, right? Because we're humans. What is the whole purpose of human evolution? Literally evolution to evolve, yeah. to change, to grow. So if literally that is why we are here in human form, wouldn't personal development be a beautiful way to approach that? Right? Like, wouldn't that be a beautiful way? And I found like, I have a lot of empathy for people that will say like, oh, I think that that's kind of cultish or whatever. And that's okay. Like, I, I'm not going to make you wrong. Your feelings are valid, just like mine are. Right. Um, doesn't mean it's true. Right. Especially if you haven't experienced it. And I think that's where it gets a little lost for me when when people um, aren't interested in personal development or have judgment on personal development, either based from their experience or an experience they heard right about or something they read or whatever. And I would just invite you to, you know, maybe challenge that belief and see what else is out there, because there are people out there like you and I and millions other millions of others that are really in this work because we've broken through a lot ourselves through the work that we do and we see how much it's transformed ourselves and no we're not perfect and we're never going to be so please stop assuming that we are right um, that'd be great um but that like that really just care more about the outcome that you say you want for your life than whether we take your money because yeah, money is part of the business model. Yep. Mm -hmm. I tell people like, Oh, you're just about the money. Fuck yeah. I'm about the money. I'm creating generational wealth. That is my goal. I love money and yep. you should too. 
<laughs> you know, like you should too, because it takes money to survive, right? And it really takes money to thrive. And I don't know about you, but I want to thrive. I don't just want to go through life surviving, right? Um, so yes, it absolutely is my business. But again, it simultaneously can be both. Mm-hmm. I can make a lot of money and I can make an incredible impact in people's life at the same time. Yeah. I will also say, and this is just my experience because this is coming from somebody who gave away a lot of stuff beginning my business, breathwork okay. sessions, sessions mm-hmm. all that. Um, I hate to break this to people, but you are a lot more respectful of my time when you pay me for it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it's a value exchange, yes. right? Like, it's a value exchange. Uh, I had, uh, I, I had, yeah, I won't say who it was. I had someone that that was very dear to me, that was very dear to me at the time, and they wanted me to um, coach a, a person in their family, mm. and um, for free, for free. <clears throat> and again, they were very, very close to me, so I, I actually did think about it, um, and I had done it before in my business, and I was like, you know what? I I, I just realized that the value, some the value that the client puts on on the information at hand is taken with such an increased level of um it has an increased level in my opinion of of effect of credibility of acceptance of processing they're more willing they're more open when there's been a financial value exchange right so i told this person i was like look i would love to coach so and so um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, but I would want that person to tell me how much they would pay for each session. And I'm, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's $20. I don't care. I don't care. Um, cause that, you know, again, this was very, very important to me at the time and close person. So I was like, you know what, but there has to be something because they're not going to get what they want out of it. And I'm not here to talk to people. And that was also way before when I would take a lot more one-on-one, which uh, you and I have talked about outside of this podcast. But I really don't take very many one-on-one clients now because my coaching strategy one-on-one and even in disruptive bullshit and things, you'll see elements of it. But we'll have um, interruptive feedback sessions where I'm interrupting someone's pattern live on the event, right, Um, in order to help them reformulate a new pattern. And I call that interruptive coaching, right? So this is not like you get on a one-on-one call and I used to get on a one-on-one call and like, you know, people would say they want something different. I'd tell them something different. We'd offer something different. They'd have breakthroughs. They'd come back the next week, same shit, different day, nothing changed. Love, honor, and respect it. Clearly they're not ready to break through that, right? They don't have the willingness to put it into action, but they have the awareness, but you can't keep coming to me with the awareness every fucking week and not doing something different, right? Mm -hmm. Or every month or whatever it is. That works for some people. There are some coaches that will gladly take your money. I am not one of them, <laughs> right? So um, I only take a really low, small amount of one-on-one and it's much more interruptive. I am going to disrupt the bullshit that you keep telling yourself. Like literally the subtitle of my workbook, it says disrupt the bullshit story you keep telling yourself and uplevel your life in 21 days because that's what it is. Everything, like we said it in the beginning, everything that you tell yourself is the reason as to why you don't have X or why you're not doing X or why you haven't created X or why you're still blank. Whatever it is, every single fucking reason is bullshit. It is a story that you have told yourself, that you have decided is fact, 
And as long as you keep telling yourself that, you will keep creating the same reality. Absolutely. Right? So it's like, I invite you to challenge the belief, the story that you keep telling yourself, right? Like, And I think that's what's so cool about beliefs. Like, big beliefs or small beliefs, right? The, the cool thing is a belief its core at its inception was just a thought you randomly had one day that you just decided was fact. Yes. You just decided it was fact. Now, what's so cool about that is like, well, if you just decided that it was fact, you could just decide something else is fact. Yes. And give yourself all kinds of evidence as to why that's true. Right now, obviously, I'm saying it like as if it's this very easy thing to do right out the gate, right? Sometimes it is easy. Most of the time, especially in the beginning, right? We're like, you know, we're pushing outside of the comfort zone. We're in the dread zone. We're like, oh, fuck, I don't like this. This isn't comfortable. Uh, right? Can I do this? Am I enough? I don't know you know, kind of stuff, but it does get easier. That's what pattern disruption is, right? We can disrupt the pattern, but then you have to reformulate the pattern into a new one. And those two steps, there's three steps, because then there's pattern repetition, which be, makes it become your new identity. Pattern mm -hmm. repetition is the new identity, right? But the the you're going to go between like when I'm training people, they'll be like, okay, so I got three steps. I got to disrupt the pattern. I got to reformulate the pattern. And then I got to do pattern repetition. Right. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. But what people don't realize is that it's not a one, two, three and done. It's actually a one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. <laughs> right? Because in the beginning, you're going to keep going back to your old self because that's the neuro pathway you've literally scientifically created in your brain. Mm -hmm. Right? But the good thing about neural pathways in our brain is that we can create new pathways. And when we create new pathways on a same on the same topic or same belief, and we don't give energy to the old pathway as much anymore, the old pathway starts to diminish and it starts to go away. And that's why when you move into step three, when you're just working on the repetition of the new pattern, it literally becomes your new neuro pathway and your new identity. It now is you as you. The old you doesn't exist anymore, but it takes commitment. Mm -hmm. It takes discipline, right? It takes willingness. I like to say it takes bold willingness. Mm -hmm. like you have to be bold and willing. Bold enough to admit that there's shit that's going on in your life and within yourself and within your mind and your body and your reality that you don't like and that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of it and you're ready to do something with it. And then the willingness to do something, to actually put it into action, right? Yeah. I'm going to touch on something. I know we're going long, but I will say my podcast listeners are accustomed to long episodes. Um, <laughs> but I want to go back to something because you just said it again. And it's something that I had somebody I was dating who had a friend who had a child dealing with addiction and mm -hmm. we talk about it. And they would say like, you know, um, kind of like you said, like when the pain of where you're at is what, say it again. What is it that when, yeah, when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, then you will change. But I feel like, or, and I feel like that is very hard for people not in addiction to understand what that breaking point is for somebody in active addiction, because 
it's so easy for other people to look in and say, it could have been very easy for somebody to look in and say, listen, you have two kids. Why won't you? Yeah, why wasn't that enough, right? Why wasn't that enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. To that, I'm always amazed because I'm like, okay, well then why did you not stay on that diet you were on for three weeks? <laughs> right. Like if you break in a diet and that's just food, then imagine how difficult it is to break an addiction, even though I don't doubt that there was pain that you were in. Right. Right. But, but I think, so I think for me, and again, this is where I, again, I'm speaking from personal experience because I, I don't want to ever uh, act as if somebody else's experience that was different isn't valid. Right. Um, for me, I didn't know how much pain I was used to. Ooh, that. Ooh. I didn't know. I was, I was totally unaware mm -hmm. of the level of pain that I was used to. Um, yeah, cause I blocked it out. Like I just, I blocked out the trauma, right? The young, the young age trauma up through 12, I had blocked it out. So, and then in order, cause the safest option my brain had, right? Like people are like, well, why does somebody still do something, you know, a, a negative behavior or, um, act a certain way if they know that it's not the way they want to be or the way, and not just with addiction, with anything, right? Like, why would somebody continue to do that? Well, for me, like, you know, my trauma was with men and sexual, right? So the safest option my brain had at 12 was to decide that, well, if, if I'm, if I'm just a good girl and I just do whatever the man wants, didn't even have to be someone I was in a relationship with. This is all men in my life, literally up until six months ago, literally, because this is something, you know, I've just really started to understand at a really deep level. I knew I didn't speak up. I knew, but I'd never attached it to the trauma, right? Until then. Mm -hmm. But my, the safest option my brain had was to, well, we're just going to become the identity of the woman and of the girl at the time, but of the woman that does whatever the man wants shows up however the man wants, doesn't speak up, doesn't say no, does only cares about their sexual needs and not her own, mm. only pleases them sexually and not herself, right? Um, because that was the safest option I had. It was the safest option I had. And then when it became so painful to be that person from 12 to 16 and a half, then heroin helped because heroin was the next safest option I had as fucked up as that is for my brain. It was like in order to still be this way and show up this way and allow myself to voluntarily, these are not, they were not all bad men. Okay. Mm -hmm. This was even relationships I chose into with healthy men. Right. Um, but again, it was inside me. This was how I was showing up. So they thought this was who I was and I wasn't, right? It was who I had become in order to protect myself from the trauma. And so then it was like, that was so hard because there was also some more abuse and, and, and issues that had gone on. So then it was like, well, now I need drugs in order to be that person. Mm. Right? Like I, I need to be high because I can't keep, 
not speaking up and I can't keep showing up however the man wants and doing whatever they need me to do and being whoever they need me to be and not taking care of myself and not being safe and held and all the things if I'm still not using drugs, right? Like, so drugs also became a catalyst for that, right? Like it was just like, well, that, that helped it be more manageable. Like I could continue to do that to some degree if, if I was high. Right. And then I think after that, it was like, you know, getting clean and doing all the work on myself. I, I did all the work on myself, but I had never, uh, um, it was very conscious level work. The first company I was with didn't do identity beliefs value work. Like, so it wasn't, wasn't um, when we talk about logical levels of the mind, right? There's um, environment, like our reality, what's actually going on in the world around us and what we've created. Um, and then there's behaviors, right? And, and those are the two very conscious levels of the mind. And that's where traditional therapy, which of which I want to put my disclaimer out there. I am all for every type of modality of therapy. I think you should do whatever works for you. I have a therapist and a coach, um, but those are conscious levels, right? So, so maybe I was making progress by doing that first personal growth stuff, but it was very conscious level. So I never even got connected to where the root cause of all this was, which was the trauma so even when I was doing all that personal development work on myself and even up until six months ago, right, especially with that, with men, specifically with men, that piece, like I didn't connect that to the trauma until six months ago. And then I was like, oh, my God, what a beautiful thing, because now I can release it. Now I can allow myself to feel it. And now I can let it go. And now I can create a beautiful relationship with a partner where I feel incredibly held and safe and secure and seen and loved and sexually satisfied and all of those things, right? Like where I thought all of that was bad. Like I shouldn't do that before. That was bad. So it's like, I want people to understand that like you're, even if you're doing things or behaving in ways that you don't consciously understand, it's because you haven't tapped into the deeper levels of the mind. And those are those unconscious levels. That's that's how we get through stuff like disrupt the bullshit or working with renegade or doing breath work, right? It gets you into the unconscious part of your mind, which is what's dictating your reality anyway. So for those people that are consciously trying to think your way through it, I think to some extent, you you might be able to make some progress. I'm not saying that. I love my therapist. Absolutely. I just feel like therapy without unconscious work, without the shadow, some people call it shadow work, right? Some people call it woo, even breath work is called woo woo, right? Yeah. It's not, it's absolutely not, not in my opinion. And I'll go to bat for that, right? Neither is NLP. Some people think NLP is woo, right? Where it's like a little too far out there, but really there's a lot of scientific evidence by breath work and neuro-linguistics, right? And the programming of our mind. It's literally how we've created everything we have. So number one, I would just like to say, because we've covered so much here, like number one, like you are okay exactly as you are. You don't need to judge yourself for who you've become. It's okay. You didn't know any better. Yep. You didn't know any better. But guess what? Just in the 90 minutes we've been on here, if people are still here, guess what? Law of exposure. Now you know. Now you know. You can't not know what you now know. Yep. So at the very least, even if you hadn't had any breakthroughs in this session for yourself personally, you have a better understanding about how your mind works and how it dictates your environment and your reality and your behavior. So at the very least, I just invite you to look into it more, even if it's not with me, even if it's not with you, Rosanna, right? Look into it more because there's more there. 
there's more there and a, an even more incredible and beautiful life awaits really oh beautiful beautiful tying up Okay. So let's um, let them know about disrupt the bullshit. This is it's happening in January. So disrupt the bullshit is a two day event live on zoom, uh, January 27th and 28th, um, which I'm sure when we release this, we'll be able to put a link in the caption or something to it. If not, you can go to my website, renegademindset.com, and there'll be plenty of information there. And it is literally everything we've been talking about today. It is literally taking a really good look, really good inventory of yourself to figuring out what do you love? What do you hate? What do you wish was different? Not even just in your life, but within you. Mm. Who have you become that you want to unbecome? Who isn't, what part of your identity or what versions of your identity are no longer serving you, right? And then you'll have an invitation during that to disrupt it, right? And the invitation is as soon as you show up, because as soon as you show up, guess what? We dip, we disrupt in some bullshit. Mm. <laughs> We're going to do the work, right? And it's, um, I don't have the times yet, but it's probably like seven hours each day, you know, like, so it's, a, it's over a weekend. So it's accessible to anyone that has a regular nine to five job. For anyone and everyone. Who is it for? It's literally for anybody that wants something more out of their life. Whatever that looks like for you. You will not be put on, um, you know, you will not be required to share anything that you do not want to share during uh, the event. You have total privacy for that. And we go over that during the event too. And in the beginning, um, we're going to have some awesome breath work every day. Uh, the first day, a shorter session with Rosanna herself, and then uh, a longer one on day two, which I'm super, super, super excited and stoked for. Um, because we're going to disrupt everything you ever thought to be true. Right. And then we're going to help you recreate some new identities for yourself. Right. So that when you leave, disrupt the bullshit, you can, <clears throat> you'll have an opportunity as well to sign up to work with Rosanna and I, after the fact to help, like we said, those step two and step three, right. Reformulating the pattern and then creating the pattern repetition. But we'll talk about that then. Um, but it's really for you to recreate, have a foundation of what these new identities are, the patterns that are in your life that are no longer serving you, how to disrupt them and where to go about it so that you can really, truly uplevel your life and experience something different. Because I'll tell you what, if there is anything I know, no one can convince me because of my own life experience that you cannot change. Mm. No one can convince me. You can't. I don't care if it's something big or something small because I'm sitting here and I ran an, an, a company as a COO with 60,000 stores, products in 60,000 stores around the world. And now I have my own coaching company and I'm a fraud felon heroin addict. So if I can disrupt my own bullshit, become the woman that I've become today, then trust me, you are more than capable. It is already in you. And if you see the transformation in me, guess what? It's also in you because you wouldn't be able to see it in me if it didn't already exist in you. So I invite you to join us. We'll have landing pages up um, by the time this website goes live. So I'm just so excited. I can't wait. Ooh. Okay. Also, I want you to tell people where they can find you. Where did, how do they follow you? How do they get more oh. loads in their lives on a daily basis? On a daily basis. So you can sign up for my email list on my website. Don't worry. It even says on there. Let me disrupt your inbox occasionally because I'm not one of those people that spam you on stuff. I only share something if I really, really feel 
Um, it's of value to people. Other than that, outside of the website, and again, that's renegademindset.com. You want to go, you can check me out on Facebook and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lotus Wilson. I think it might even be Lotus L. Wilson, but I am the only Lotus Wilson with blue hair and there's not many Lotuses and there's not many people with blue hair. So I'm sure you can find me. <laughs> I will also have them all hyperlinked in the show notes. I always yes. So Fabulous. Scroll Fabulous. down and click and follow. I love it. This has been incredible. Thank all of you listeners out there. I hope that this did something for you. I hope it woke up something in you. Uh, I hope it even disrupted you a little bit. And thank you so much, Rosanna, for having me on. This is awesome. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lotus as much as I did. Oh, it's just, you know, I have missed these conversations because, man, do I just feel so empowered, so excited, and just uh, another level of gratitude afterwards. Uh, the link to register for Disrupt the Bullshit for the end of January is, our, or the link, excuse me, is down in the show notes, as are the links where you can follow Lotus on social media. Uh, you can follow the podcast on social media. That link is below as well. And if you loved this episode, I would love if you write a review. And if you know that this episode would benefit somebody you know of who maybe is going through a transitional time in their life, maybe they're dealing with addiction or have dealt with addiction, please share this because one thing I am confident in is Lotus Story is one that can give so many people hope about what is truly possible, what redemption looks like, what, I mean, just coming back from the edge truly can look like and true personal transformation. Um, not to, you know, like, overhype this, but I did genuinely believe that her story is amazing. That's why I was so excited for you to hear it. And again, I hope we get to see you in January at Disrupt the Bullshit. Um, and I can't wait to talk to you next time. All right. Have a good one. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lotus as much as I did. Oh, it's just, you know, I have missed these conversations because man, do I just feel so empowered, so excited, and just uh, another level of gratitude afterwards. Uh, the link to register for Disrupt the Bullshit for the end of January is our, or the link, excuse me, is down in the show notes, as are the links where you can follow Lotus on social media. Uh, you can follow the podcast on social media. That link is below as well. And if you loved this episode, I would love if you write a review. And if you know that this episode would benefit somebody you know of who maybe is going through a transitional time in their life, maybe they're dealing with addiction or have dealt with addiction, please share this because one thing I am confident in is Lotus Story is one that can give so many people hope about what is truly possible, what redemption looks like, what, I mean, just coming back from the edge truly can look like and true personal transformation. Um, not to, you know, like, overhype this, but I did genuinely believe that her story is amazing. That's why I was so excited for you to hear it. And again, I hope we get to see you in January at Disrupt the Bullshit. Um, and I can't wait to talk to you next time. All right. Have a good one. And thank you so much for listening.